0: It's good to see some of you folks back from vacation. We uh, we had such a big crowd last week, it was at least three of us, so I'm glad that you're here. Uh, good to have you here, also if you're a visitor worshiping with us, and we do uh, invite you to come back as often as you can to worship with us. A uh, couple of announcements. The next one wonderful Wednesday for children is this coming Wednesday, the 14th. Uh, We're going to stay here and enjoy a fun day at Memorial. You may sign up online for your children at GreerChurch.com, or there's a tear-out there in your bulletin. Or, Katie says, you can just show up at 9 o'clock on Wednesday also. Now, this last Wednesday, I was at the hospital with one of our members, and I missed the fun. But I understand that the children got so hot that the fire truck came down and blasted them and cooled them off, so that must have been quite a quite a day to have the firemen come and uh, cool you off. Now this reminder to all elementary school age children, uh, you need to sign up for our Down by the Creek Bank musical camp that Jessica will be holding August the 2nd through the 5th from 9 until 11.30 a.m and there will be a performance of down by the Creek Bank, um, the, I believe on that Friday uh, evening. Contact Katie or Jessica or the church office uh, if you have an elementary school aged child who would like to participate in this program. Our youth activities will be um, going on as usual today. I think there's some special planning times today as our youth will be leaving on this Friday, uh, flying to the west coast, and then going to the uh, their mission site in montana so uh, remember these folks in your prayers uh, as well let us now begin our time together in worship Pardon me. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and give thanks in it. Our first hymn is number 152. Of faith is the Apostles' Creed, page 881 in your hymnal. Let us unite in this historic confession of the Christian faith. I believe you, in God the Lord Father Lord Almighty, Lord, maker Lord, of heaven Lord, and earth, and, and in, in Jesus Christ, Christ, His only Son, and
1: Lord, who was conceived
0: by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered from the conscious Lord, power,
1: and was crucified, and day, today. The third day he
2: rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, Father Almighty. From thence he shall come judgment.
0: This time, we'd like to invite the children to come forward uh, to join Margie Crowley for a few moments of sharing.
1: Good morning to all of you. Did you hear me say good morning? Yes. I didn't hear you. Good morning. Good morning. That sounds better. Okay. Oh, you all look so nice in all your summer colors. Love that. How many have been on vacation? How many are going on vacation? Yeah. Let me ask you a question. How many of you like sports? How many of you play sports? What sort of sports do you play? Just tell. Me. Basketball.
2: Basketball. Basketball. Swimming. Basketball. Swimming. Baseball.
1: Um, cheerleading. Cheerleading. Any Okay. How many of you have ever been to a game of some sort, other than what you play? You've been to see somebody else play? A football game or a basketball game? Okay, good. Okay, and do you watch it on TV sometimes, maybe? Oh, yeah, okay. When you watch those, uh, well, men and women play, boys and girls, have you ever, I'm gonna say a football game, When you go to a football game, do you ever go to, like, a high school or college football game? Anybody been to that? College? Okay. When you see some of those big guys make a touchdown, have you ever noticed that they're so proud of themselves when they do that? they, They do a little dance. Have you ever seen that? You haven't seen them do a little dance? Can you show us what it looks like? Oh, you don't remember it? (laughs) Have you seen them when they score a touchdown or do something they think is real good, they'll go to each other and they'll do a high five up in the air? Have you seen that? Have you ever seen two big guys when they've done something really good on a football field and they're real big and one will come from this way and one will come from that way and they bump chest? Have you ever seen that? Why do you think they do all these things? Celebrate. To celebrate. That's exactly right. And in almost every game, whether it's football or basketball or baseball or soccer, somewhere along the way you're going to see somebody hold up a great big old hand and there's this finger sticking up and they're saying what? What's that stand for? Number one, sometimes when you're playing, if you turn around and you may see your mother or daddy or grandparent and they'll go, are they proud of you? Yeah. Are they proud because you've just scored? Not necessarily. What are they proud of? Because you're out there working hard. Are you having fun? Yeah. And are you being a team player? Yeah. Yes. And that's what being number one is all about, isn't it? It's not whether you score the touchdown or the basket or get the home run. Now, all that's good. But what is being number one when you're doing what? Doing something good. Say that. Doing something good doing something good and doing your best. And it's okay. Sometimes at school you may be number one in something. Your school may be number one or you may be number one. And all that's good. Who is number one in our life? God. God. Is that who you were going to say? Okay. God is number one in our life. There is a Bible verse from Matthew 22 that says, you should love the Lord your God, can you finish it with me, with all your heart and with all your soul, soul and with all your Mind. Very good. And if you do that, he will be number one in your life. That's exactly right. And you want to be number one when you play sports? Sure. And you want to be number one at school? Sure. But most importantly, who do we want to be number one in our life? Exactly right. Now, after we have our prayer, I've got a few little sports items here. And there's some little pads that you can write or draw on, but not while Preacher Arthur's preaching. You wouldn't do that, would you? When you get home, there's some soccer, football, basketball, baseball. Pick what you want. There's some stickers. Each one of you get some stickers. Now don't play with the little balls during church either because Preacher Arthur probably wouldn't like that too much either. But get you a little, uh, it's a baseball, basketball, or soccer ball, okay? So I want you to repeat after me when we have our prayer. Will you bow your heads? Dear Lord, help us to love you with all our hearts, with all our soul, and with all our mind, so that you will always... Be number one one in our life. life. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much.
0: I always like it when Margie is announced as the children's sermon presenter because I look out and Ralph gets tense because he's just scared to death she's going to talk about him as a teenager, and I always hope she will, but next time, time. okay. Our Old Testament lesson is from Amos chapter 7, verses 7 through 17. It is uh, in your pew Bible on page 1,428, if you'd like to turn to that page. This is what God showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to the plumb, with a plumb line in his hand, and the Lord asked me, What do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, Look, I am setting a plumb line among My people Israel, I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed, and the sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, king of Israel Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in every heart in Israel. The land cannot bear all his words. For this is what Amos is saying. Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will surely go into exile away from their native land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Get out, you seer. Go back to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there, and do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy anymore at Bethel, because this is the king's sanctuary and the temple of the kingdom." Amos answered, Amaziah, I was neither a prophet nor a prophet's son, but I was a shepherd and I also took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Now then, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and stop preaching against the house of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, your wife will become a prostitute in the city and your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured up and divided up and you yourself will die in a pagan country and Israel will certainly go into exile away from their native land. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is from Psalm 34. Uh, On page 769, I invite you to turn to that page and stand as you're able as we share the Lord's word responsibly. I will bless the Lord at all times. God's praise shall continually be in my mouth. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt God's name together. I saw the Lord who answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Look to God and be radiant so your faces shall never be ashamed. All their troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear God and delivers them. O oh, fear the Lord, you his holy ones, for those who fear God have no want. The want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord have no Come, O oh children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Which you and to the Lord. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. The ears of the Lord hear their cry. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers them. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned." From the letter to the Colossians, our epistle reading is verses, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers and sisters in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful member of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding For he has rescued us from the domination, from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Here ends the lesson. Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, we join the Apostle Paul in giving you thanks for the way the gospel continues bearing fruit in our lives and in our community. We don't stop often enough to think about what life would be like for us if we had never heard the good news of your love for us, if we had never heard to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love neighbor as we love ourselves, how life would have been so different for us if we had followed the ways of darkness instead of the ways of the light we find in Jesus Christ. We're grateful for this. We're thankful that even though you measure all lives with a straight line, your work always is to restore. And we remember that when Amos's prophecy came true and the people suffered for their evil ways some others returned to you and there was a remnant for you always are the redeemer and we're grateful that you have called us into this redemptive fellowship and you have invited us to live in this awareness that you are our king as we live about our lives in in the kingdom of God And we pray, Lord, that you would always help us to be looking around us for our neighbor, remembering that our neighborhood is constantly growing, that there are more and more people that you're bringing into our lives because they're your children. Forgive us, Lord, when we close people out of our hearts and lives and out of our fellowship. And give us a bigger heart that we might look to those who need us this day. We are so overwhelmed by the needs in our world that if we didn't have the strength of your spirit with us, we would sometimes feel hopeless. But we pray that you would use us, that where there is dissension and strife, we might be those agents of peace where there are those who are hungering this day and homeless this day. Use us to give these folks your love and hope. And for those who are hungering and thirsting for your righteousness and peace this day, we pray that we would always be mindful of that need and that gift that we can give through your love living in our hearts that we can always help someone else who is seeking your mercy and grace to find your love and the difference that you make in, in their lives. Lord, we are mindful of many this day in our church family that are not able to be here with us because of frail health. And we pray for them, that they might be mindful of our love for them as well as your love for them we pray for your strengthening power upon them and your healing grace and especially to those who are just feeling hopeless because of situations in their life. Help them to remember that there's always hope when you are there with them in life. And how grateful we are, Lord, for the greatest hope that we have and that is that when life has run its course for us here on earth. We have an eternity given to us through faith in Christ. And for this we are grateful. And we pray in the name of the one who is our Lord and Savior, even Jesus our Christ, as he has taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. It's always a treat to have the. I always feel like I ought to, I ought to have some bubbles. The, the lovely Lennon sisters. I mean, the lovely uh, KMAC ladies uh, singing with us uh, today. I like having them in a church setting. I don't like going with them to a senior citizen setting. They do songs that pick on the preacher, but uh, they are often in area churches. Uh, ambassadors for you folks thought you might like to know that Uh, we appreciate them being here with us in their home turf today our gospel lesson is from um, Luke chapter 10 verses 25 through 37 I'm sure a very familiar passage to you on one occasion an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus teacher he asked What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? Jesus answered, or rather he answered, the scribe answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? <clears throat> In reply, Jesus said, "A man was going down from Jericho from Jerusalem to Jericho, when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side." But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Here ends the lesson. Many of you all uh, are teachers or have been. I find that the student teacher interactions in classrooms are always somewhat entertaining. Students don't like to have their ignorance exposed, and teachers don't like to be bested in the classroom either. I recently heard about a little boy who reported this incident to his parents as he called his mother on the telephone from the principal's office. He said, The teacher asked the students to tell them about, to tell her rather, about their favorite animal and I told her that my favorite animal was a chicken. She then asked me which was my favorite variety of chicken and I told her fried. (laughs) All the students laughed, but the teacher said that that was not funny and she sent me to the principal's office. I told him what happened and he laughed also. He said that the teacher was a member of PETA and liked all animals. I told him that I liked all animals too, but my favorites are chicken, beef, and pork. (laughs) He sent me back to the classroom and told me not to do it again. When When I got back to the class, the teacher said that what she really had meant to ask me was what was my favorite live animal. And mama, you told me to always tell the truth. And so I told her, that my favorite live animal was a chicken. And she asked me why and I told her because you can catch it and cook it for supper. (laughs) She got mad at me again and sent me back to the principal's office for a second time. He laughed at me again and told me not to do it again and sent me back to the classroom. When I got back to my desk, the teacher was talking about American heroes and she asked me who my favorite American hero was, and I said, Colonel Harlan Sanders. <laughs> Mama, guess where I am now? <laughs> People called Jesus teacher because that's what the word rabbi means. And he enjoyed holding his classroom in the marketplace, in the streets, along the lake shore. And students were always trying to teach to trip him up, to measure their status against his. Others who fancy themselves to be teachers also liked to question Jesus, testing this rabbi from Nazareth. Now Jesus sincerely enjoyed these exchanges. He especially liked using that time-honored teaching technique of turning a question back to the one who asked it in essence saying well let me hear your answer first and then I'll tell you what I think. Jesus was also always able to judge a serious question from a student from somebody's question that expressed some other agenda that was going on. On this occasion Jesus saw right through what was happening. The man was known by everyone to be an expert in the law So what is he doing asking a question about eternal life? This man already had his answer. He knew what the law of Moses required of people. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And to love your neighbor as yourself. Listen to Jesus' very short response that was a little bit of a put down to this other expert of the law. Jesus just said, you're right, go do it. By turning the tables on this expert, Jesus was exposing his motive and putting him in a place where he really needed to ask a second question in order to, to improve his image a little bit, to justify himself is what, uh, what we read there. That word justifies an interesting concept. From our computers and typewriters, we know that if you line up all the words on the page with a column, that's called justifying, you know, making that plumb line we read about earlier, lining up words in a certain order. Um, whenever our family gets together to celebrate a birthday, we spend a lot of time justifying the cake. We, we go back and get a second piece because we say, well, the, the line was crooked that you cut last time, so we have gotta straighten it out, you know? That's a form of justifying, I guess. Uh, The expert in the law felt a loss of respect from how Jesus had responded to him. And so he wants to straighten up the line of respect that people have for him. Jesus, who is my neighbor? Now, Jesus' response is well known to all of us. The parable of the Good Samaritan, though, is reported only in one of the four Gospels in Luke. And so we would be missing this wonderful story if we only had three Gospel writers. It's an interesting thing to consider why one of the four writers of the Gospels included certain stories and left some of them out. There was a purpose in their doing this. They all had an intended audience. And you need to be very careful not to alienate the very people you're hoping to win for Christ. For instance, My sermons used to be packed full of jokes about Clemson until I learned I was alienating half my congregation. I realized this right after someone burned a wooden chicken in my front yard. (laughs) Matthew, who was trying to win the loyal Hebrew audience, tried to portray Jesus as a very loyal Hebrew. And so he would have had difficulty reporting this story that made a hero of a foreigner, a hated Samaritan. I don't think you're in a mood today to hear me preach a sermon called the parable of the good Taliban soldier. But Luke had a different audience in mind, one that included Gentiles and even Samaritans. And so he included this and other stories to illustrate Jesus' great love for outsiders and common people One of my seminary professors told us that people of that day, like the people of the era I was raised in as a child anyway, uh, liked ethnic jokes. We've about gotten beyond that, I hope. But back then, they loved ethnic humor, and most of their jokes uh, made fun of those Samaritans, those half-breeds. They were the butt of most of the jokes. They also liked to poke fun at their religious leaders, So it might be helpful to you to realize that Jesus took the basic framework of a joke and turned it into this parable. And the end of this joke is very unusual because of the punchline. A bad guy is made the hero. You know the details. A man went down the wrong road, one known to be dangerous because robbers went up and down that road searching for people to rob. The man traveled alone. That wasn't very bright. He was accosted by at least two robbers who easily overpowered him, knocked him out, took his possessions and clothes, and left him there to die. He probably looked like he was already dead. Otherwise, I cannot fathom why a temple priest and a synagogue leader would just walk by the man without checking on his condition. But you know, there are health considerations that might happen to you, bad health results from touching a dead person. And their jobs in the community as worship leaders couldn't be done if they were contaminated uh, or religiously defiled by coming in contact with a corpse. But the point of their inclusion in this story is that these two men of all people should have been able to be counted on to take care of the wounded man. Probably they were from the same nationality and religion as the injured man. We might understand if some others ignored the man, but we are shocked to hear that a preacher and a teacher didn't stop to offer help. The priest and the Levite might even have literally been this man's neighbors, but they didn't behave very neighborly. I wonder what the reaction of that audience was when Jesus first uttered the word Samaritan. Some have suggested that since people were used to hearing jokes about that group of people, that some people burst out in laughter the minute Jesus uttered that word. If a priest and a Levite ignored that injured man, what would a Samaritan do? Perhaps like one of the Three Stooges, he would stumble and fall and do something stupid Maybe he would see if the robbers left anything behind for him to take. Surely he wouldn't stop and help the injured man. Samaritans just don't do good things like that. They can't be trusted, you know. They're all lazy, and they hate us. But Jesus said, this man is the one that felt pity. He felt some harmony with that injured man, and he went over to him to offer what assistance he could, he cleaned, disinfected, and bandaged the wounds as best he could. Then he placed the man on the man on his own donkey and took him to a nearby hotel where he could rest and recuperate in a place of safety. When he had to go on his journey, he paid the hotel owner to continue caring for the injured man, promising to come back by one day and reimburse uh, the the innkeeper for any uh... expenses he might incur and then jesus said of the levite the priest and the samaritan which one acted like he was a neighbor to that injured man well it was obvious to everyone but the expert in the law couldn't even bring himself to say the name of the race of people that uh... that he hated so unable to say the word samaritan the expert said instead that the neighborly one was the one who had shown mercy to the hurt man one of the problems that we humans have is that we put too many limitations on love and mercy Peter wanted to know when he could stop forgiving his brother is seven enough and Jesus told him that forgiveness didn't keep score if God wants me to love my neighbor as myself just how far am I supposed to extend my neighborhood I've got to set some limits out there, don't I? Or else I'll never get to the end of being neighborly to others. Jesus was always trying to enlarge people's neighborhoods every day. He talked about this kingdom of God, this existence of living under God's authority and rule that would extend to whosoever wanted to be a part of that kingdom and even those That didn't know about it yet. It was a kingdom big enough to include everyone in God's neighborhood. And so Jesus encouraged the very righteous and very religious to reach out in love to sinners around them because there was a place for everybody in God's neighborhood. If a member of the Roman occupying army demands that you carry his armor for one mile, Treat him like a neighbor, Jesus said, and carry it a second mile. If someone persecutes you, pray for him as if he is a neighbor. And even those Samaritans over there, remember they're your neighbors too. Edwin Markham penned a very famous poem called Outwitted that you've heard, I know, that expresses the heart of Jesus as he tried to include all of us. That poem goes this way. He drew a circle that shut me out. Heretic, rebel, a thing to flout. But love and I had the wit to win. We drew a circle and took him in. Jesus was telling that expert in the law to draw a bigger circle. One big enough to include someone like the Samaritans. There was something else of uh, worthy of note uh, about the flow of this parable. The story begins with a question about what must we do to earn eternal life. And it ends with an emphasis on mercy. The Samaritan had shown mercy to the injured man. Ultimately, it isn't our work of loving God and neighbor that saves us or anybody but it is the mercy of God that saves us the mercy of God which he so generously bestows upon us in Christ go and do that Jesus said blessed are the merciful for they shall receive God's mercy God has been merciful to us so we are to be merciful to one another The great thing about mercy is that it is is given by the offended to an offender who does not nor will ever deserve to be forgiven and loved. The Samaritan showed mercy to the injured man, even though they were enemies. God shows us mercy while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Who do you need mercy from today? Who needs you to be merciful to them today? Who needs the mercy of God in their life today? It is here for you. O Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy upon us. Amen. Oh,